coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 10th of April, 2022. Hosanna! If you've been here with us over the last several weeks, you've watched us move through the Upper Room Discourse as Jesus has spent some time with his disciples. Well, today's, because of it being Palm Sunday or the triumphal entries has different titles to this day. It is the beginning of what we would call Passion Week, headed to the cross and then to the resurrection. And because it's that time of year, we're backtracking a little bit in John from instead of chapter 13 where we started, back to chapter 12 as Tom has already read a portion of this, to see the setting for the triumphal entry and the beginning of Passion Week and the definite heading to the cross, John records for us those that time just before the triumphal entry and then into the triumphal entry. As we said, Tom read for us the first uh, 10 verses of this section. And I would like to uh, read down to verse 20 or 19 as we continue this section so that you have the whole of the context. The first part that Tom read for us where is where Jesus is with his disciples and with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and they're in Bethany. Now, Bethany is a town close by. If you want to think in terms of distance, it's probably the distance between Woodland and La Center, close by enough that even those who walked, and of course we would go, that's too far to walk, but even those who walked, that would be a short journey for them to take, have, having most of them have coming from all around the country to Jerusalem for the Passover to go over to Bethany, eh, we could do that. And so we'll see the setting there as uh, a, loud, a large crowd then comes to Bethany to see Jesus. They discover that he's there. And of course, they want to see Lazarus, which not too long ago in, in the timeline of the life of Christ, Jesus had come to Bethany and raised Lazarus from the dead. And so now they want to see Jesus and Lazarus together again. And we see that. And then beginning in verse uh, 12, it says, And the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who has come in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it was written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. 
And the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. And the reason why the crowd went out to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, you see that we are, you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So I thought that for this Sunday morning, this Palm Sunday, we would focus not so much on the event of, of the triumphal entry. We'll take a few moments and do that. But I thought I'd look at some of the people that were involved in what was going on and their response to Jesus as sort of a barometer of where we are in our walk and our relationship with Jesus Christ. It says that Jesus was come in, and he was come in and on this day, which we call Palm Sunday, triumphal entry. Jesus is riding on the donkey and coming into Jerusalem. Now, the Jews had been looking for a king. They wanted to overthrow the Romans. They wanted to get them off their backs. They wanted to get them out of their nation. Uh, there were zealots there in the land that wanted to be active participants in seeing that happen. But generally, the people didn't care for the Romans at all, wanted them gone. And now Jesus is coming. Well, Jesus had developed a following in three plus years of ministry, traveling up and down the country. Jesus had been seen by some as this could be the Messiah. And they meant it in the sense of a deliverer from the Romans. Jesus was the Messiah. And Jesus was coming to deliver them but not from the Romans, from their own sin. Well, it comes time on that day in the large crowd. Some had traveled over to see um, Lazarus and Jesus in Bethany. And now as Jesus is moving into Jerusalem, like many other pilgrims, as they were moving in, the crowd gathers and Jesus is riding on the donkey and they began to wave palm branches and if we were to compare the other passages in Matthew, Mark and Luke it fills out the story more about how they went and got the animal and made the preparation and some of those things but now they're coming into Jerusalem and the people are waving palm branches and you go, why palm branches? What's, what's the significance? Well, it's more than just waving like a banner. They had to grab something. They would grab a, a shirt or, you know, we see games now where they wave hankies and all sorts of stuff just to make a bigger motion than just themselves. But that wasn't just it. For this, there was some history behind this. The Maccabees had claimed um, that they were moving in the direction of, of opposing the Romans. And their symbol of 
nationalism was the palm branch. And so Jesus coming into Jerusalem on the feast day when the whole of the nation has been called together to gather in Jerusalem, you can see what was going on in the minds of some as they saw Jesus coming in, he's riding on the donkey. He shouldn't have done that. He should have been on some sort of horse, a charger or something. But no, he's coming in a donkey. Why? Because this wasn't about that kind of a kingdom. But they're waving the palm branches. And what are they saying? Hosanna, which literally means save us. Now, what did they want to be saved from? Well, the Romans. But it couldn't have been a better accolade to give towards Christ because that's exactly why he was coming to Jerusalem to save them. But they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. No problem with that. Even the king of Israel. Ah, we can see where their minds were going. He's of the house and lineage of David. Yes, we'll make him king Let's kick the Romans out. This would be as good a time as any. We're all gathered together. And we will do something about this. Well, that was sort of the setting. But I'd like for us to look at some of the parties involved. And you see, I've outlined four. We could probably break it down more. But let's start with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We can see in the opening verses of John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so they gave a dinner for him there, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one reclining with him at the table. And, and so here we have these who are reunited now. For we go back a chapter or so and we see the story and the account in chapter 11 that Jesus had come to Bethany too late to heal Lazarus, at least in their minds. But Jesus had come and raised Lazarus from the dead. Scripture tells us that he then left Bethany and went out again and was out in the wilderness and away from Bethany, and now he had come back at the time of the feast. And they're having dinner. Man, what kind of celebration is that? I mean, this is, how good is that? I mean, everybody gone to a really great birthday party? How about a rebirthday party? That's what they were doing. They were celebrating Passover they're celebrating Lazarus being raised from the dead. How good could this be? Well, we get an expression here. Verse says, and they gave a dinner for him there, and Martha served. Of course Martha served. We have seen Martha before, busy serving. That was her thing. That was what she did. Nothing wrong with serving. But that's what she was doing. And Lazarus at the table, and Mary took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. 
And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Wow. A couple of things going on here. She took this expensive, expensive ointment. Shortly, Judas is going to tell us what he estimated the worth at. 300 denarii. 300 denarii would be literally 300 working days worth of wages, which would in turn be a year's worth of, of your wages. It says, and what did she do? She put it on Jesus' feet. And not only that, it said, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. How shameful. The women would, would wear their hair covered. And for her to do this, to loosen her hair, to let them be uncovered, and then to use that hair, how unsettling this was. Women never did this in the presence of men. And here was Mary doing it, not only doing it, but with the ointment that's filling the house with fragrance. And as I was reflecting on this, I was thinking about this response to Jesus. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus decisively devoted to Christ. Decisively devoted to Christ. We could say that Mary held nothing back. This was her expression of love, care, and concern. She didn't care what others thought. What she thought was Jesus is here and I want to show my love and my care and my attention to him. Decisively devoted. In Romans 12, 1, we have a familiar verse and this is what came to mind as I was thinking of what Mary was up to. Paul writes, after 11 chapters talking in the book of Romans, talking about what God has done on our behalf in taking us from being sinners to being redeemed and all that God has done on our behalf. And he, and he writes this and he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What was Mary doing? She literally, physically, was expressing her love and devotion to God with the, with the use of the nard and wiping Jesus' feet. So the first response is one of individuals who are decisively devoted. They had made a decision. Christ is worth 
all that I am and all I have to give. Can you imagine? Today, giving a year's worth of wages to the Lord. I don't care what form. Say, Lord, you're worth it. No, we're not taking up an offering next. But you see the point. For Mary to do this, and she didn't hold it back. She opened up this alabaster box. She used the ointment. She wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. All those things, and she didn't care anything about what anybody else's reaction was. She wanted to express it to the Lord. And so we come to the second person in this mixture. And that's Judas. And in the midst of this great moment of devotion and passion and expression of a commitment and a relationship with the Lord, here's Judas, one of the disciples, and what does it say? But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold to the for 300 denarii and given to the poor. And you know what? I think there was some mutual expressions. Mm -hmm. Judas said it, and he had his own motives. But I think the others were going, what a waste. 300 denarii spent on, on this nard that is now used to clean the feet of Jesus and fills this house with fragrance, 300 denarii, what could we have done with 300 denarii? And Judas said, this, not because, as scripture says, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. So we have a little backstory here on Judas. Judas was the money keeper in the group. And you go, why would the Lord have allowed that to happen? Didn't the Lord know who Jesus Judas was and what his character was about in his nature? That's a discussion for another time. Judas was that person, and he spoke up not because he cared for the poor, Scripture says, but because he wanted a cut. He wanted some of that resource. So he defined Judas with another phrase. He was a personal profiteer. Personal profiteer. What do I mean by that? I believe that probably Judas started following Jesus because they, he thought that if Jesus really was the Messiah, it's a great person to have a connection to because no telling where I could go if I'm connected with the deliverer of Israel. 
Where can I go? If Jesus really was the person who was going to deliver us from the Romans and he was going to set up this new established government and I'm one of the 12 of his inner circle, what would it be like then for me to have that connection? I'd probably get a good cabinet post or something along that line. But I think what happened over time is while he may have started following Christ with that in mind, it became apparent with what Jesus taught that Jesus wasn't about what Judas was about. Jesus was there to set up a kingdom, but it was to be a, a kingdom, a spiritual kingdom of, of hearts and lives changed. And Judas said, well, wait a minute, this is going in all the wrong directions. I'm not going to profit in the way of, of getting a cabinet post. It doesn't look like that's going to happen. What can I get out of this arrangement of being a disciple of Christ? And so we see him in control of the funds. And what is he doing? Siphoning funds out. And that's what I said, personal profiteer. The question was, what is in it for me? What is in it for me? His values were all wrong. He was so close to Jesus and so far away. He was there in the inner circle, but he was on the outs with who Jesus was and what he was about. What a sharp contrast from Mary and Martha and Lazarus who were devoted to Christ willing to sacrifice a great sacrifice he was over here inner circle yet what can I siphon for me what can I get out of this years ago when we were in our older building downtown we had a new couple came to town and I won't say any names here a new couple came to town and they came to visit us at church and we were delighted to have a new couple come to us and they introduced themselves and they passed out business cards we go, okay, that's a little different, but I mean, that's all right. Person wants to come to town and he, they have a business and want to let us know what it is. That's all right. Until we found out that we were one in line with all the other churches in town. They were coming to the services not so they could come and worship. They were coming to church <laughs> to get some new contacts for their business. And I thought, wow. Is that why we would come? So that we would make some contacts that would be valuable to us in some way? And the world is set up that way. 
It's valuable. It's sort of who you know. It's not what you know. And if you know some people, the right people, they can, you know, grease the wheels or make something work for you. It's great to have those contacts. And the thing was, and the saddest thing was, Judas was rubbing shoulders with the God who created this world and he was after the money in the bag. And you go, are your values messed up or what? Judas, when saw things aren't going his way, said, well, I'm still going to profit from this some way. And he was taking from the bag. Love the sign out in front. We come to Jesus, we come his way, not our way. There was a third group. We've already been introduced to them in the reading. And this was a crowd. The crowd came to Bethany to see Jesus and, and to gawk at Lazarus. How many of you have seen a dead man walking? <laughs> you know, that would be worth seeing. And it's in a town coming to you nearby. Let's go over and see. And they put a tag on the crowd. They were intrigued, but fickle. They were intrigued. It's okay to be intrigued by Jesus. I mean, after all, we can be attracted to something because it catches our attention and then it's how we respond to those things that catch our attention that is really the hallmark of we are. In the Old Testament, we have the story of Moses out in the wilderness and he sees a burning bush and he goes, ah, burning bush? Ah. No, he goes, hey, there's a burning bush. I'm going to go over and see what that's about because it's not being burned up. Was he intrigued? Yes. But then he responded to the call of God and he went on to serve his people as a deliverer coming out of Egypt. So it's okay to be intrigued. It's a necessary step in being a follower. That's one step in being a follower to be intrigued. The question is, what are the next steps? Each, ultimately, each person will have to make a decision for or against who Jesus Christ is. And while we're talking about the crowd, we realize that what we're talking about is a whole bunch of individuals grouped together. That's what a crowd is. But individually, they're going to have to make a decision. We read in John 12, 9, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. And then down in verse 12 and 13, he says, a large crowd that had come to the feast, they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, and they laid out the branches, and they began to say, Hosanna, blessed is he. In chapter 12, verses 
17 and 18. He said, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead to continue to bear witness. And now they're even going further back to the actual occasion of the raising of Lazarus and the large crowd saying, we were there, we saw, we knew what happened. And this is the reason why the crowd went to meet him, was they had heard that he had done this thing. They were intrigued. They saw something novel. They were attracted to this event and these things that were happening. And they could say, I was there. I saw that. I heard that. I witnessed him. Read, we read Romans 12.1. By the mercies of God, I beseech you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. But in verse 2 it says, Be not conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may test and literally prove and discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's okay to be attracted to Christ, but then again, you need to be transformed. The word in Romans 12 is metamorphosis. You need to go through the process of going from being a caterpillar to a butterfly, you need to be transformed. The work of God needs to be do a work in your heart and life that makes you something other than what you were before. A person before that was oriented towards the things of the world and now a person who's oriented towards the things of God. This is a bad paraphrase, but it says, don't be like the world which is ever the same, always changing. But be new, ever changing into someone who is always the same. Now we need to be conformed, not to the world, but be transformed by the work of God in our hearts and minds. So they were intrigued, but fickle. And we'll take that concept of the people and move it to our last category and the priests. And if Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were decisively devoted, the chief priests were decisively opposed to Christ. They weren't about to be swayed by miracles, teachings, anything that Jesus did. They just wanted to get rid of him. We saw in, in the passage, it says in verse 10 and 11, so the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death, to death as well, because on account of him, so many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. We need to terminate Jesus. We now need to add to the list Lazarus. We need to figure out a way to put him to death. Why? He was an embarrassment. 
The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of all at all. And here was Lazarus walking around as somebody had been raised from the dead. That can't fit our theology. The only way we can get rid of Lazarus is to literally get rid of Lazarus. And their hearts and minds were made up to get rid of Jesus. Did they care about Mary and Martha and Lazarus' devotion to the living God? No. I was thinking about that this week. Here these men were the religious leaders of the day. And I wonder if they would have anywhere come close to Mary's devotion to Jesus in their worship of their God as they perceived him. And here Jesus was right in their midst. And what did they want to do? Put him to death. John chapter 8, Jesus accused them of being of their father, the, the devil, and not of their father Abraham, which they claimed. And they go, oh yeah, we're from Abraham's seed. And Jesus said, if you really were of Abraham, you would have worshipped me like Abraham. But you're really from the devil because you want to get rid of me. Hmm. Remember we were talking about how fickle the crowd was and the, and the plan of the religious leaders to get rid of Christ? We come to Matthew 27, and it all comes together. Here they went out a week earlier to, to see Lazarus and to see Jesus and Bethany and to take this whole spectacle in. They had been involved in the triumphal entry and the palm branches and the singing of Hosanna and all that. And now we come to chapter 27 of Matthew, and it says, Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barnabas and destroy Jesus. And the governor asked, well, which are you, what do you want? And which one do you want me to release? And he goes, the crowd goes, Barabbas. What should I do with Jesus? And scripture says, and I underscore, and they all said, let him be crucified. Crowd was intrigued by Christ. But they were fickle. They were attracted to what they immediately saw, but when it came to commitment, they didn't come anywhere close to Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They had seen with their own eyes the person and the work of Jesus and within a week, crucify him. Crucify him. Quite a contrast in this group, isn't there? So the question is, for us, where are we? 
Have we come to the place where we're decisively opposed to Jesus as the religious leaders were? Are we intrigued by Jesus a little bit? Maybe, possibly. I mean, he's kind of interesting. But we're fickle. Something else captures our attention. We move on. Disregard or even participate in opposing him because it cuts across our life and our lifestyle. Not going to make a choice for Jesus that cause for devotion. Maybe we've gotten close to Jesus because of what we thought that he could do for us and he could do a lot but not what we thought. And he starts putting the call on our life, calling for us to follow him. And you get way, that's too much. That's too much. I can get something from being associated with you, but that's too much. Or are we like Mary and Martha and Lazarus? And we're decisively devoted to Christ, no matter what. The little chorus, no turning back, no turning back. I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. My heart's prayer is that you're in that group. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We realize that this account comes down to individuals, comes down to choices that each person makes. And even though we talked about a crowd, we realize that we're talking about people in that crowd. Scripture tells us some believed and others said crucified. Heavenly Father, may we be people literally sold out for Jesus. Decidedly devoted. And to that end, we give you praise for you have entered into our lives, revealed truth to us, called us to yourself, given us faith to believe and we choose to follow. What a life. We give thanks in Jesus' name.